Peter grew up in the town of Bethsaida. He eventually got married and settled in Capernaum. He had a fishing business with his brother Andrew. Andrew, at least at this time, was a little bit more, well, God-fearing. Andrew had been hanging out with a guy named John the Baptizer, and he was considered one of his disciples. And so he started hearing God in a different way. One day, Jesus walked by while John the Baptist was there. And John pointed out Jesus, and, and there were a couple guys that had an opportunity to just spend some time with Jesus. Andrew was one of those guys. So he left John the Baptist and spent the afternoon with Jesus, and Jesus convinced him that he was the Messiah. Later on, Andrew came to Peter and said, Pete, I, I just got to tell you, this is so amazing. But you know the Messiah? You, you know, we've been looking forward for the Messiah. We've been hoping the Messiah would come. We're praying the Messiah. Peter, I met the Messiah. Well, Peter was a seasoned fisherman by this time. And he looked at Andrew, and uh, he was probably a little skeptical. Well, probably most Jews were a little skeptical at that moment. I mean, they've been waiting for a long time for this Messiah guy to come. And all of a sudden, Andrew, like he had some insight here. He said, hey, Peter, let's go meet him. And so that's what Peter did. Peter met Jesus. Well, Peter's life didn't change at that moment. But he began to think just a little bit differently. He met Jesus, and Jesus asked him to follow him, but it doesn't seem like Peter left everything, at least at this moment. Peter was curious, Peter listened, but Peter still was a fisherman. And the Bible tells us he went back every day and caught fish. One day, or shall we say, well, one morning, after trying to fish all night long, he's got nothing in his nets, not anything. And they worked hard all night long. And they start coming into shore, rather dejected, and Jesus is there. Now, Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a teacher. He had met Jesus, and, and Jesus seemed to be a little bit special, but, but Jesus gave a suggestion that was totally out of his realm of expertise, or at least Peter thought so. And he says, hey, why don't you go back out, and why don't you just toss your net on the other side? And Peter kind of looked at him and saying, dude, are you serious I mean, I get that you're a great teacher. I know that my brother thinks you're the Messiah, and, and there's some good things that are happening, but you really are telling me right now how to do my work. But he did it. He did it. And as he tossed the net over, the net was filled with so many fish, all of a sudden, Peter saw Jesus differently. 
They soon left everything and followed. It was at this time that Peter started to do life with Jesus. And he started to see how Jesus was teaching. And he experienced some of Jesus' miracles. And he even saw Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. Jesus was teaching others and was feeding unbelievably large crowds. Well, at least 5,000 to be specific. And at the end of this amazing miracle, Jesus puts all the disciples in a boat and says, Go across the Sea of Galilee. I will meet you. I need to go spend some time with God my Father. So Peter and the rest of the guys who were very familiar with boats went out into the sea. And Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. Well, in the middle of the night, a storm came. Mother of all storms. And these guys were a little bit afraid. And Jesus saw it. And Jesus decided, well, I better go take care of the situation. And he came down from the mountain started walking out toward the boat. Well, all the disciples saw this. In spite of being at night, I'm not sure exactly how good their vision was. But they saw something, well, that scared the liver out of them. Jesus called out. Jesus let them know who he was. And Peter... Peter is the one, <laughs> Jesus, if that's really you, um, let me come out and walk in the water. Sure, Pete, come on. And so Peter jumps out of the boat. And the waves are crashing. He's getting wet. He's walking toward God. And eventually it hits him and goes, whoa, this is not right. I have never walked on water before, and I am walking on water. Something is wrong. Peter begins to sink. But he cries out very quickly, help me, save me. Jesus gets his hand and picks him up. Again, we look at this Peter and some of his shenanigans or some of his faith or sometimes some of his lack of faith. But in the middle of this whole living life with Jesus thing, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter, the leader of the disciples at this time, shouts out. And he says this, very quickly. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the king. You are the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus, kind of like if he gave out gold stars, he would give out a gold star right there. Pete, you finally got it. You get it. I am so excited. And then the scriptures tell us in Matthew 16 that Jesus says, you know what, it's probably a good time that I should let them know once again what kind of Messiah I am. And he reminded them, and he just said, you know what, I'm going to need to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to need to go to the cross, and I'm going to need to shed my blood, because really, I am the sacrifice, I am the rescuer, and people need a Savior. Well, no kidding, Peter, after Jesus shares this plan, looks at Jesus, and the scriptures literally say, puts his armor on Jesus, takes him aside and says, Jesus, I, I, I just got to let you know. What you just told us, you know, let's do it a different way. I, I don't think you really need to die. I don't think you need to go to Jerusalem. And be quite honest, let's figure it out. 
At that moment, Jesus gives Peter one of the greatest rebukes of all the scriptures. He says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Now, I know you've been ticked at some people at times. Or some people have just not really um, understood maybe the situation. But I'm pretty sure none of you have called your kids or other people Satan, you know. But really, Jesus was a little bit exasperated. He says, you finally got some things. And now you want to literally go against what my father wants? That's what Satan does all the time. Well, this guy, Peter, learns the hard way, all right? And as he kind of does life, things kind of progress rather quickly. Jesus, during his last supper, he's got the guys around him, and he's explaining all the things that are happening. And and basically, he says, you know, it's time for them to take me and to crucify. Let's go to the garden, and that's where they're going to take me away. On the way to the garden, he just kind of talks with Peter and says, hey, Peter, by the way, I just want you to know, in the next few hours, you're going to deny me. Now, this was the end of the ministry. This was the end of the training for the most part. And Peter goes, you're, you're crazy, Jesus. I am never going to deny you. He goes, no, really. By, by the time the rooster crows a third time, you're going to deny me. That's, that's what's going to happen. And so Peter doesn't believe it. But the soldiers come, and just before they come, Jesus is praying. The disciples can't pray with him. This is one of the hardest, if not the hardest night that he's ever experienced as God, as human. And no one seems to support him. Well, when the soldiers finally get there, and he starts to be taken away to this illegal trial, Peter stands up with a sword and tries to defend Jesus. Now remember, he's not a soldier, he's a fisherman, and this probably explains exactly how good he is with a sword. But he starts moving that sword around in very odd places, and uh, he chops off a guy's ear. I don't even know how you can just, like, chop an ear off. I don't. That's what happened. But Jesus, right there again, understood who Peter was, picked the ear up, put the ear back on uh, the servant, and then he walked off along with this crowd. I'm sure Peter at this time is kind of wondering, oh boy, I just keep blowing this. He wants me to pray and I sleep. He wants to go to, you know, get crucified and I cut off somebody's ear. You know, he's kind of looking at this kind of stuff. But it goes even or it gets even worse. During Jesus' trial, he's warming himself around a fire. And some people ask him, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he goes, no. Another one, no. A third one, no, I am not one of his disciples. All of a sudden, the rooster crows. All of a sudden, the tears start falling. And he looks over the last 24 hours and he's just kind of, well, he's made a mess of things. Well, life continues a little bit quicker now. Jesus is raised from the dead. He begins meeting with people. But he meets Peter as the first 
one of the disciples. He appears to Peter first. And then he gives Peter and the rest of the disciples the Holy Spirit. But somehow again, even during this time, even as the disciples are trying to figure out life and what it actually means to follow him, Peter goes back fishing. You would think again he would have started this whole, you know, um, ministry thing. But he didn't. Most of the disciples went fishing with him that night, and you find the story in John 21, and, and he's out all night, and guess what? No fish. Nothing. He sees somebody on the shore, though, and as they start coming in, this somebody has a fire going, and, and he just shouts out, and he says, uh, you guys catch anything? Uh, no. <laughs> Bad night. He wanted you to toss your nets again on the other side. So Jesus encourages Peter. Peter does it. The fish are unbelievably cooperative at this moment. All right, after a night of nothing. And Peter understands who it is. He dives in the water. He can't wait to see Jesus. Jesus, in his wisdom and his kindness, he, he just looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you, do you love me? Of course I love you, Lord. And, and Peter, do, do you really love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Peter. And so Jesus encourages this man who failed miserably. Well, just before Jesus ascended back to his father, Peter, along with a multitude here, the Great Commission, which we talked about actually last week. Peter then waits for the Holy Spirit, according to Acts chapter 1, and the Holy Spirit came and filled the place. It's called Pentecost. And he preached an unbelievably powerful sermon, and there were 3,000 people that came to faith that very night or day. Whoa, this is something special. He then begins to do life among the people. There's a lame man that needs healing, and in the name of Jesus, he heals. And because of this unbelievable movement of God, those who opposed God were getting upset. So they jailed Peter at this moment. And yet Peter was able to give great witness and great glory to God. The Spirit was so very, very active. He was part of the preaching team as he went to the Samaritans. He healed a paralyzed man and raised a lady named Dorcas who was dead. Peter was doing some great things early in the life of the church. And then he realizes, after some special revelation, that the people group that he didn't like at all were also given God's grace. He called them the Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles, as many of you know, they didn't really like each other, but, but God appeared to him in Acts chapter 10 in a vision. And it changed his perspective, it changed his life, it changed everything because all of a sudden he saw that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Not just the lost Jews, not just the lost Samaritans, but the lost Gentiles 
also. Whoa. Well, persecution got a little bit hard at this time. And James, one of the early church leaders, was killed by King Herod Agrippa. He saw how much this pleased the Jews. And so what he did is take Peter and he put him in prison with the intention of killing him the next day. In Acts chapter 12, you can look at it, but something amazing happens. Peter goes to sleep the day he's supposed to lose his head. Now again, even though it was kind of a short summary of Peter's life, this guy has really grown. This guy is a completely different person at this time. I mean, I don't know any of you that if you knew tomorrow your head was coming off, I'm really sure you probably wouldn't go to sleep. I'm not exactly sure what you would do, but, but sleep and peace and calmness probably wouldn't be what would happen. Here this guy is, sleeping in a jail. The early church is praying fervently, and God does some amazing things. The chains fall off, the doors are open, and, and Peter leaves. Whoa. He had an amazing life, but things continue to get more intense for him and more intense for the early church. Peter arrived in Rome about 30 years after his Lord ascended. 30 years he's been part of the leadership team in the early church. 30 years he's been preaching. 30 years he's been teaching. 30 years he's been doing miracles in Jesus' name. He probably wrote 1 Peter during the last few years of his life. He was in Rome, but he was in Rome and wrote this book probably right before Nero's terror began in 64 AD. I'm not expecting every one of you to be history buffs, but most of you have heard the name Nero. Most of you have understood how ungodly and evil this ruler was and how he blamed, well, these Christians for the fire at Rome. Most scholars think 1 Peter was written right before this. But tradition shares with us that the Apostle Peter probably died in about 65 A.D., about a year after the fire. The intense persecution was unbelievable, but tradition says, we don't know, but tradition says that when it came time for Peter to die, he was crucified upside down. Wow. This guy was completely different from the first time he met Jesus as a fisherman to right before he died. Living with Jesus made a difference. But his life wasn't easy. His life was really hard. And not only on top of that was it hard, it was hard for the church. Persecution was unbelievable. Following God cost just about everybody. 
Now, if we're honest, most of us, who doesn't like Peter? We can relate with Peter. You read through the scriptures and say, oh, yeah, okay, I, w- I would have done the same thing. Maybe not cut off the ear thing. I get it. Okay? But most of the other things Peter did, I, I could do. I'm there. I always talk without thinking. You know? I, I mean, it just happens. It's a disease. I'm right there, Peter. I understand. And Peter, I need to be reassured, or God, I need to be reassured, just like Peter all the time, because I keep choosing things that aren't always right. But this guy, Peter, walked with God. He was a shepherd. He was an elder. He was a person that understood what it meant to follow God with all of his heart. Near the end of his life, he wrote this letter. I think personally, God prepared Peter just to write this letter. His journey, you're going to see it as we dig in over the next 12 weeks or so into this letter. And and I think that it's going to encourage your heart as you do your journey. As you get up every day and go to work or go to school, God is involved and wants each one of you to know that he's walking with you. He never promises us, well, a perfect environment or a life that always looks good because life is hard sometimes. But he does promise us his presence. I think you're going to be encouraged. I think you are going to be blown away by this man's God-ordained words for a life that will encourage you tremendously. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Peter. He is so easy to relate to. He has given so many chances, and you graced him so often And yet, God, there were some things that have happened that we just can't believe. Lord, in our lives and our struggle, we we pray, Father, that we would hear from you and that you would change our lives and that you would give us grace not only for today but for this week and for this month and that we would understand what you need. We love you, Lord, in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn your Bibles with me? You know, guys, we're just starting the message, okay? This, we're just early, okay? I, I'm okay with this, but that was just the introduction. We're in big trouble here, you know? <laughs> Don't know how else to say that, but... <laughs> Oh boy. (laughs) Would you open your Bibles? Would you open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first two verses. Now, I know some of you are wondering, Rick, uh, there are quite a few uh, chapters in 1 Peter. And if we're just covering two verses today, this is going to be a really long study. Um, I don't think it'll just be two verses every week. 
But it's really important for each one of us to be able to understand the background of Peter, to understand who the person was that wrote this book and how he poured out his life for the church. I'm going to start reading. You can, uh, again, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, first two verses. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Peter starts off saying this. Peter, who is an apostle of Jesus Christ. A Jesus Christ sent one. He is identifying to everybody who doesn't know him who specifically he is. His goal and his role is not so unlike any of ours, to be quite honest. We are all people if we're part of God's family as as sent ones, as ambassadors, as people that God has sent out to represent him. Peter was sharing with everyone, hey, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those guys who be able to proclaim God's message and to be able to give hope and encouragement. And then he says this, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners scattered, well, basically around modern Turkey. God's chosen people living as foreigners. Whoa. I think we all get the chosen thing. We assume being chosen is fair. Most of the time we're chosen for a job or a school or a team because we, well, perform a certain way or we have a certain uh, gifted skill set or perhaps it's academics that we have attained. But we get chosen or accepted on the basis of those things. Once we're chosen, we wear the jacket, the warm-up, the bumper sticker, You know, if you're on a traveling soccer team, the best thing you can do is put on your warm-up and go to school every day, making sure everybody knows you are quite good in soccer. And you were, well, the top 12, the top 15, the top 18 who have applied for this special team. But what if being chosen or not chosen doesn't seem fair. You know, some of you have heard this story, but uh, I went to Wheaton College. And if you know anything about Wheaton College, it's a rather prestigious Christian school. Now, I don't tell you that I went to Wheaton College so you can ooh and ah. I want to tell you how I was chosen. My brother played football. He's a younger brother. 
And he was great, greatly skilled in this position. And, well, the Wheaton College wanted him to play football. So I was two years older than Dave and going to Northeastern Illinois at the time. And the head football coach, Dewey King, I still remember his name, came over to our home, and my dad was sitting there, and Dave was sitting there. And my dad invited me in, which I wasn't exactly sure why he invited me in, because I wasn't playing football and I wasn't going to Wheaton. But I sat there. And they talked back and forth, and you know, this was a recruiting, so they're telling about the program, and they're thinking that this is the greatest thing, and my brother Dave, you need to come, and if you play football here, this is going to be an amazing time for you. You will add so much to the team. You know, and that kind of stuff. That's the older brother talking, okay? Well, after you went through all that kind of, you know, um, baloney. Um, my dad looked at Dewey King and he says, hey, well, looks like you really want Dave to play. He goes, yes, we do. Dave, do you, do you want to go and play at Wheaton? Yeah, Dad, I would love to play there. He goes, okay, well, well that's cool. Well, how about this? If you want Dave to go play at Wheaton, you got to take Rick too. Honestly, that was the very first time I ever even heard of this. All right? Like, are you kidding me, Dad? What, what's, do you know what kind of people go there? Do you know what their grades are? Do you understand? Dad, I'm, whoa! It's not going to work. And Dewey King said this. He goes, whoa. How do you do in school, Rick? I go. You know, it's about what I can say. He goes, I'll tell you what, Dave, if you come and play for us, you can come to Wheaton too, Rick. <laughs> chosen. I was chosen. All right. That was like so cool. Actually, I loved Wheaton. I only went two years. I graduated from there. I uh, enjoyed the school tremendously. Um, but, but the bottom line, if I am honest, I am pretty sure there were some people who did not get to go to Wheaton that probably deserved to go to Wheaton because I went to Wheaton. And I'm sure if people found out, and they would look and say, Look at his grade point average, and look at my grade. I'm like, what, what's the deal here? How come I'm on a waiting list? How come I didn't get to go? <laughs> I'll just say I'm chosen, man. You know? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. But I'm chosen. And it's a really good feeling. It's not always fair, and I don't always understand all the details, and not everybody actually even needed to know. But I bet there's some really, really eligible people right out here that at times as you look back in your life you've been chosen for something that probably you didn't deserve and you've probably been wow set aside on something that you actually did deserve well you know what Paul starts off excuse me Peter starts off and he says this I'm writing to God's chosen People. Election is a hard doctrine to understand. 
especially hard for Westerners to embrace. But let's try to understand this truth that is often divisive and confusing. Election just means this, is God in His sovereignty. He is king. He knows all. He understands all. And He chooses certain people to come to faith and be His sons and His daughters. Election is maybe one of the most humbling truths of all the Scriptures. It's sobering to realize that we have nothing to do with God's choice of us. One of the first verses that our wanted kids learn is Ephesians chapter 2, verses, uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are we saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that nobody can boast about it. Gifts are given freely. Gifts need to be received. But there's nothing about our salvation or our standing with God if we have come to faith that we literally can brag about. It is clear that the sinner's faith and repentance and ability to come to God or ability to obey all comes from God. Yet we also know in John chapter 1, John the Apostle writes this. He goes, For as many as received him, they gave, or he gives them the privilege to become a son or a daughter of God. That there's this, there's this part of, okay, I need to receive the gift. What, what part is that? How does that play in the greater scheme of things? I think it's confusing. But in election, if we understand it, God is exalted because all glory goes to Him. It's not about us. Election brings a humble joy, recognizing that if you are part of God's family, you are unbelievably overwhelmed by His grace to you. Realizing that you didn't deserve it. Realizing I shouldn't have gone to Wheaton. I just shouldn't have gone. But I got to go. Election is a powerful motivator for holy living. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14, he says this, Since God chose you to be a holy people, clothe yourselves. And he shares with mercy and kindness and tenderness. He says, because you are a chosen one of God. You're a son and a daughter. You have that title. I'd like you to live like that, like you're part of God's family. You know, we can't ignore election or we fail to understand the true glories of redemption. We can't ignore election or we're going to fail to understand the sovereignty of God. Now again, most of us even sitting here will say, yes, I do believe God is sovereign. Whatever God does is right. His timing is always perfect. Our God is king. But you know what? We start struggling with God's sovereignty when things don't go our way. When the doctor gives you a certain prognosis. Or when there's a certain son that doesn't seem to listen and end up in prison. Or there's a certain scenario or situation that you didn't see coming. 
then God's sovereignty is hard. It's difficult. But God is still king. We can't ignore election or, or we fail to understand our mission and purpose. The truth is, life oftentimes is not fair. I'm just letting you know. It's one of the greatest things you can teach your kids as they grow up in a household. Life doesn't always go the way that you had hoped. But if you can trust your king, your God, in spite of what happens to you or the people around you, that is something where you will grow in this relationship. So Peter starts off writing right away. He goes, I'm writing to a group of chosen people who are living as foreigners, as exiles. As you've seen in the front of your bulletin, as you've seen in our, our new series titled, but as exiles between worlds. You're going to see how Peter writes over and over and over again and say, you know what? We're not here for very long. Our real home is going to be in a place called heaven. This world might be really, really hard at times. But I want you to understand you're just a foreigner. You're an exile. You're a temporary resident. You're a refugee. You're a stranger. You're a pilgrim. You're a sojourner. All these words, or, or this word can be translated by all these words. The reason I literally chose exile is that I think there's a little bit more punch to that word. None of us would like to admit that. I'm an exile. I'm, I'm an exile. I, I know. Foreigner. Okay, I'm a foreigner. I can handle that one a little bit. Or I'm a stranger. Or I'm just a sojourner. I'm just kind of traveling. That, that seems a little soft to what Peter really is saying. He's saying, you are so odd. You are so different. You make decisions differently, you worship differently, you spend your time differently, you spend your money differently, your priorities are different. I'm letting you know that you are in exile. The Greek word for such a resident talks about someone who was in a strange land and whose thoughts are always turned toward home. Now, that's not always our case. But that's the idea that Peter was trying to get across. You see, God the Father knows you and chose you long ago. God the Father carries this, this intimacy. It's a term. It shows both Peter's respect and intimacy. Peter wanted the recipients of his letter to experience all the rich and varied blessings of being God's elect. Now, in some of your versions, you will read the word foreknowledge. And sometimes we get a little bit confused on actually what that term is all about. But let me try to put it simply for you. Foreknowledge here has the idea that God knew about their situation way before this world began. See, we consider or try to put God in categories that we understand. 
But nobody is as wise and no one is as powerful and no one is as knowledgeable and no one understands the world, the past, the future, and the present like God. We think in those terms. God doesn't. And so he can look out and he can understand completely all that's happening. More than that, Peter is writing to a group of Gentiles. This may not be like a giant red flag to you. But he is calling this group of believers chosen people. Jews do not call Gentiles chosen. They like that little better status. You know, they, they like walking around saying, Oh, I'm a chosen people of God. Well, what Peter's doing, he's blowing that all out of the water. And he's just saying, I just want you to know, Gentiles, the majority of people that he sent in this letter to, which is a little ironic, are the Gentiles. And he's just saying, you are chosen, you are living as foreigners. And then he goes on in the scripture and says this, And his spirit has made you holy. What's really cool, this specific term in the New Testament occurs only in the epistles and focuses only on Gentiles. That's it. To us, it's not a big deal. To the Jewish world, Peter would be shouting. He learned his lesson back in Acts chapter 10. He did. But what he is finding out and sharing with us is that our God is amazing. And our God has chosen you. And our God wants you to understand that you are part of his kingdom work. And as a result, or shall we say this, it's living a life according to the Spirit's input. Let me go back. And as a result, you have obeyed him, And you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a people who are walking by the Spirit. You are a people that understand who God is. You are a people who are growing. In fact, I'm going to give you two new titles. Because you walk with God, you are going to be given the title obedient and cleansed. Peter is shouting to a group of Gentiles that 30 years earlier would have been anathema. He's saying, you are an amazing group of people. You are chosen. You are living as foreigners. You are walking by means of the Spirit. People look at you and they say, there's obedient and there's cleansed. Your reputation is way different than anyone would even imagine. And then he closes up saying this, May God give you more and more grace and peace. And in our English translation, again, it's, it's something that, that Peter just is blurting out. He's saying this, He is wishing for them all the best that God can offer believers. He's saying, May it be given in maximum allotment or quantity. Because you're going to really need grace and peace in the days ahead. Things are not going to be good. Things are going to be really hard. But I want you to know this. God is going to give you grace and peace for whatever you need to go through. 
You know, as I look at those first two verses, I know that Peter is way out of his comfort zone and trusting God in a new and a fresh way. He is really saying that we have a good, good father. Somebody that I will trust. You see, the chosen, those people back in modern Turkey or Asia Minor, or the folks right here at Crosspoint, we are called to live lives as exiles. May our hearts be overwhelmed by His grace. May we be salt and light in our world. May we understand the position that we have as chosen and live our lives under the authority and the reign of our King. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace. As we look at Peter, we understand his history and know what he desires, Lord. He, he wants a people group that he didn't have any time for at all to understand what position they have. Lord, Peter doesn't only want them to understand. I think he wants us to understand that we are chosen exiles. And that we have a privilege, Father, to walk with you and to be salt and light in our world. I pray, God, as we move forward, as we learn from you and we understand this precious letter, that you would encourage us, that you would give us strength and perspective, that our faith in you would grow in a new way. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. You know, as you came in, you received a bulletin, and on the side of the bulletin, there is a tear-off. And if you have a prayer request, or if you're newer to our fellowship, we would love for you to fill that out and be able to put that into an offering plate, which will be uh, passed in just a little bit. But if God is um, encouraging you to be able to share something that we might be able to walk with you on the journey, we would love to do that. If you're newer and you put down your contact information, we'll give you a call and hopefully encourage you on the journey. For the next few minutes, we have established a time called Listening to God. And we would love for you, as some soft music is being played, that you just kind of ask God, what, what is it today that I heard from you, God? What is it that you want me to bask in? Is there something that you're convicted about? But let's be quiet and listen to God before we receive our offering. good, good Father. And we know that you know what's best. We know your timing is best. We know, God, that um, you're smarter than any one of us.
But God, there's sometimes that our faith wavers. We don't get it. There's sometimes we hang on by a thread. We pray, dear Lord, that you would open our eyes to who you are. That we would be able to trust you in spite of circumstances or situations that are so confusing to us. We thank you, Father, for your grace. And we thank you that we might be able to proclaim your mercy and share our stories of grace to others. We pray even now, God, that uh, as we receive the offering, that you would take this as an act of worship, that we would give you back just a little bit of what you've given us. We pray, dear God, that um, even at this time, I, um, I'm thinking of Yvette, and I'm thinking of her son, Lord, who just received a brand new heart. We ask you, dear God, that, that you would be with this family, that Donnell would, would be able to heal quickly, and that uh, you would protect him. Thank you for walking with Yvette. Thank you for the grace you've given this family. And we, we pray, God, all these things in your name because you are a good, good father. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he calls you who is faithful. I'm so glad you're here today. And some of you may be going through some, some extraordinary life challenges. And every time we close our service, we uh, want to just at least make aware that we have people who would love to pray with you. And if you'd like some prayer this morning, and, and as everybody else leaves, if you want to come up to the front, we'll pray with you and, and encourage your heart. Just a few things before you leave. Next week uh, is our annual meeting. And we'd love for you to join us. There'll be uh, a lunch and then we'll be able to share a little bit of God's grace, what's happening here, and what to look for in the future. also want to share with you out in the lobby today, for those um, who are not going on the Honduras trip, we have a mission trip that's happening, and there's a bunch of supplies that you would bless the folks down in Honduras. So you can look at that poster, and if you can help out, rip that baby off and bring it in, and... Uh, you would you would really encourage some folks there. Lastly, if you're willing to help out at the annual meeting in one way or another, there's a sign-up in the gym, along with our donuts and amazing gourmet coffee. You don't want to miss that. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.